Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Tonight we're going to be in uh, the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of, of chapter 10. My attempt with the help of the Holy Ghost is to go through 12 verses tonight. Amen. Come on. Release your faith. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> there it is. I love the encouragement. <laughs> okay, so we're going to read from Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to chapter 10, verse 8. Okay, if you're there, say amen. 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 Here's what the, the Word of God says. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and, and healing every disease and every affliction. Verse 36, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Someone say pray. pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Chapter 10, verse 1. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, you didn't even know about those two, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go in, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the opportunity and the privilege. Lord, number one, that we have the freedom to gather around your word. And we recognize, Father, that there are brothers and sisters of ours in our faith across the world that don't have this freedom. And so we just express our gratitude to you that we can do this, Father. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be our teacher tonight, that you would open our minds, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that respond accurately, that we would not respond in ways that we prefer or listen in ways that we prefer, but God, that you would give us the ability to, to hear your voice clearly without filters, without biases tonight, and that you would shape us and mold us into the image of your son, glorious and beautiful. It's in his name we pray, amen and amen. Okay, so if you are new with us to Wednesday night, we've been going through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse, and that is why we're only at the beginning of chapter 10, and so it's, it's been good 
Um, last week, we, we talked about Jesus healing two blind men and, and Jesus then healing uh, a man who was unable to speak. And if you remember, they called him a title. Remember what that title was? Son of David. <laughs> right. So, so the two blind men follow Jesus, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Remember that? And that was to fulfill, really, the, the messianic mission that Jesus was to come down, the Messiah was to come down through the line of David, and he was to, to allow the blind to be seen and allow those who cannot talk to, to, have, to have a voice. And if you remember, the, the healing of sight is unique to the ministry of Jesus. You, you, we, don't, we don't hear about it in the Old Testament, and then after Jesus, we don't see any of the apostles performing healing of sight. This is unique to the ministry of Jesus. It's as if the Bible is trying to make it clear that it is only through Jesus that we can clearly see the Father. Amen? Amen? And so Jesus says, no one has seen the Father, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen? And so now it says to, uh, Matthew is telling us um, here that Jesus goes throughout all the cities teaching in their synagogue. So he's going through cities, he's going through villages, and he's teaching in their synagogues. And what is he doing? He's doing two things. Number one, he's teaching. Number two, he's proclaiming. He's teaching, he's proclaiming. And what is he teaching and proclaiming? The gospel of the kingdom. So, so we talked extensively about this. We talked about what the gospel of the kingdom is. We talked about the importance of Jesus preaching the kingdom of God. Um, and, and, and really, if you remember, the kingdom of God is a realm. Someone say realm. It's, it's the realm where God has authority, God has rule, and God has reign. And so when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it is literally God's domain. And so when we say we are people of the kingdom, what we are saying is, though we live in this world, we've spiritually stepped into another. We've stepped into a world where God rules and God reigns. That's what makes us distinct. That's what makes us people in the world and not of the world. But until we tap into what it means to actually live in the kingdom, we, we will be people in the world and people of the world. The only thing that distinguishes us is that we are saying by faith, we have stepped into a realm where now God has dominion and God has reign. In other words, he is Lord. And when someone is Lord over your life, guess what? They get to tell you what to do. They get to tell you how to live. Hello. They get to determine your schedule. They get to determine your destiny and your future. They have say over your choices. And what I love about the Bible is that to, to receive him as Lord is not done by him dictating his lordship over you. Because that would result in insincere discipleship. And so the way he becomes Lord is by faith. You have to get to the point where you believe he can truly be Lord. See, see, here's, see, sometimes, if I can get the house lights on, that would be incredible. Um, here's what separates sometimes people who have a difficult time following Jesus and to others who have an easy time following Jesus. 
And what I, mean by, what I mean by easy is not that everything goes right in their life. What I mean by easy is there's no longer a burden. Hello? See, the moment you get convinced that him being Lord is the best thing for you, the burden is gone. And you can only do that by faith. You can only do that by believing that he is as good as he says he is. Hello? That's what the psalmist says in order to really, oh, I love it. Praise God, I can see you. That's why the psalmist says in order to really experience God, you have to taste his goodness. Because until you taste his goodness, you're going to be living a life that in practice is inconsistent with what you believe. So you're trying to live like he's good, but you've never tasted his goodness. And so there's a struggle. Because you're trying to convince yourself of something you haven't really believed by faith. I'm preaching. Okay. And so, and so, that wasn't even in my notes. Okay. So Jesus is teaching, he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and lastly, he's doing one more thing. What is he doing? He's healing, right? And so three things, right? We see, we see him teaching. Number two, we see him proclaiming. Number, C, number three, we see him healing. This is the work and the ministry of Jesus. Now, do you remember anywhere else we've seen this before in our study? This is like a homework check. Pop quiz. So, so we see this in Matthew chapter four, I think it's verse 23, just before Matthew takes us into the Sermon on the Mount. If I flip there, he literally says, let me just read this for you. He says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. And so, and so we see this at the start of the gospel, or, or at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, and Matthew is trying to tell us this is what the ministry and the work of Jesus is all about. It's about him teaching, it's about him proclaiming, but it is also about him healing. In other words, the proclamation of, and the teaching of the gospel of the kingdom, the fruit of it is wholeness. The fruit of it is healing. The fruit of it, so, so we're talking about God's kingdom being, being a sphere, right? Of, of, of where God rules and God reigns. And so Jesus has taught people about this, but the healing aspect is him now bringing that domain into the lives of people. And so here, the healing of every disease and affliction is a glimpse of what it looks like to step into the kingdom of God. If God would have total control once again over the earth and over his creation, guess what would happen? Every disease and every affliction would no longer exist because he's in total control. Amen. You understand that? Now the question is, why doesn't that happen today? Why doesn't every disease and every affliction be healed today? Because in this moment, Jesus is showing a glimpse of what it could look like, what it was supposed to look like. And this is the future, by the way, that we're heading to. And so that's why the Bible says that one day, heaven is going to come down. And Peter tells us that God is actually going to get rid of this earth. God is going to get rid of the current heavens. And this is why when, when we die and, and we're raised back, we don't get our same bodies. The Bible says we get resurrected bodies, no longer tainted by the sin and disease of this 
world. And so here's what we see in the ministry and the work of Jesus. We see the totality of what the kingdom of God can truly bring. That's a day to look forward to. And by God's grace, by the working of the Holy Spirit's power and the, administ- and the administration of, of the Holy Spirit's gift, we see glimpses of God's rule and God's reign today. We still see that, amen? So people are still getting healed, but totally that day will come when Jesus returns and he ushers in a new earth and a new heaven. And we get to do this thing with, with God. Does that make sense? Okay. That's exciting, right? So, verse 36. Time check. Okay, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowd. Someone say, he saw. This, this means that, that this, Jesus had either the, the ability or the power to perceive by sight what others could not see. And so he sees the crowd, watch this, and he has compassion. Someone say compassion. He has compassion for them. So this is, this is an important word because there's many times in the ministry and the work of Jesus where Jesus is literally on the way to someplace, to somewhere, and he stops simply because he is moved by compassion. The word compassion here in the original language literally means to be moved within your inner parts. So so not only does Jesus see this, he, he feels it. There is something emotional and physical happening here in Jesus where he feels in his most inward part compassion for them. Someone say because. This is important. This is, this is the why. So, so why Jesus, seeing the crowd, is moved with such compassion? Because they are harassed and helpless. One translation says, afflicted and rejected like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. What I love about this is, is Jesus in his ministry never does anything robotically. He, he doesn't do any, he doesn't do what he does because, because, because within him there's some sort of software programming that, that if this happens, then, then this formula kicks in and he's got he's to do this equation and so this needs this so that it can result in this. It's not, it's not robotic. It, it is moved. It is felt. It's, there's heart behind it. There's mercy behind it. There's, there's compassion behind it. And so anything God has done, even in your life, by his goodness, by his grace, let me tell you, he has not just done it because he's robotic at doing good things. No, he's done it because he's felt something towards you. I want you to think about that. I was just spending some time in, in prayer with an individual and, and, and they began to tell me of the heartache that they were feeling and going through and, and not really be able to, to put into words all the emotions that they are feeling. And, and, it, and, I, and I thought about this as I was praying for him that, and I had to remind him, I had to tell this individual, God feels for you. He, he doesn't just know your situation. He feels the effects of it. Catch that. That the emotion it brings to you, whether it's joy, whether it's pain or heartache, God, as your father, feels that. Right? 
And if you're a parent and you see your child smiling, you, you can feel the same joy arise within you. And at the same time, you, you see your child hurt in pain and confused. All of a sudden, those emotions begin to rise within you as well because you're connected. And so the father doesn't just see our situation. He, he feels. He feels it. He's not a robot. So he sees them. And, uh, and, and I love this because, because, because he, he, he saw, he saw, he saw. These, these are the same people that the religious are looking at, but they're not having compassion in their heart. Hello? They're, they're actually angry. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't like this crowd. So, so isn't it interesting? Jesus sees this crowd, and you have the religious see the crowd, but it's, it's two separate reactions. Because Jesus sees something they don't. And, and I, love that about, I love that about Jesus because, because Jesus sees what we don't. Jesus doesn't just have the, the ability to see. He has the power to see what others cannot. One, one of the greatest prayers that, that you can pray as you, as you go through seasons and transitions and, and, and difficulties and even, even seasons of joy is, is God help me see what only you see. Help, help me see what only you see. So Jesus sees what we don't. Watch this. They, they see, as they look at this crowd who is marginalized, oppressed, poor, not good enough, most of them probably sick and ill, labeled unclean, and they look at them and they see broke and lazy. And, and Jesus looks at the very same crowd and sees burdened, and lost. He, he, sees, he sees what they don't see. They, they look at them and, and they think to themselves, man, these people, they don't, they don't add any value. Jesus looks at the same people and says they don't have any guidance. Hello? And so, so you know, it, it is so easy to, to become the religious people in this narrative. To, to look at people, and I don't know when no one's here is guilty of it, but, but to just to, to look at people and within seconds, you have formulated a judgment about that individual. Hello? And you go, why, psh, why, would, I, why would I need to sit down with them and have a conversation with them? I, I know everything I need to know about them just by looking and observing them for a couple minutes. Right? And we do that because it's very easy to do that. And yet, and yet Jesus sees what we don't see. They see, they see people who, who deserve to be dismissed. Jesus sees sheep with no shepherd. See, see when we don't see right and, and we, mis, we, we misinterpret Misinterpretation leads to the wrong, leads to the wrong uh, solution of the problem. You get what I'm saying? Because if you think the problem is one thing, when in reality it's another, you'll never be able to bring that person to the solution that they need to be brought to. 
And so for many people, the crowd who was poor, who was sick, the solution was, hey, listen, if you're sick, you have some, un, you have some sin that, that has not been dealt with, go deal with that sin, go, go, go sacrifice, go do all these things. And so, and so that was the diagnosis. Because the problem was mislabeled. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 their, their, their problem isn't that they're unclean and they're dealing with, with sin. The problem is they don't have a shepherd. They, they, they don't have a Lord. They don't have someone telling them, here's what to do. Here's who you are. Here's who God is and here's what he has called you for and to. Sheep without shepherd. Now, I began, I began thinking about this because I'm like, man, what is a sheep without, without shepherd? I want to read to you a, a scripture out of, out of Isaiah 40, verse, verse 10 and 11. If you're taking notes, you won't see it up there, or maybe you will if Luigi is super quick. <laughs> Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. Okay, because... Because this imagery of, of, of sheep and shepherd is pretty prevalent in, in the Bible. And so, so here, Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Now watch this, watch this, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. So God's heart is to be a shepherd. God's heart, when he sees people that are lost and confused and hurting, are, are not to come to conclusions and notice Jesus, who is all-knowing, is he not all-knowing? Does he not know the beginning from the end? Or from the, the end from the beginning? Is he, does he, is he not the author and the finisher? So, so he's all-knowing. So this, this crowd, and how many ever people are in this crowd, is it logical to assume Jesus knows their story? Is it logical to assume that maybe some of them are dealing with the conditions they're dealing with because maybe they made some poor decisions. That they are somehow responsible for where they currently are today. Maybe not all of them, but it's pretty logical to assume that there might be some of those in there. Hello. And yet you don't see Jesus talk about their past. You don't see Jesus say, hey, what you did in 1993, right? You don't, you don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus digs way deeper into the condition of these people and realizes they are sheep without a shepherd. Psalms 23, one of, you know, most, the most beloved Psalms probably there is, David likens himself to a sheep and likens God to a shepherd. And I began to, I began to think about, I began to think about this, this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, a sheep with no 
shepherd, and, 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 I, and I looked at Psalms 23, and, and it's all about how God is David's shepherd and the results of having God be his shepherd and what follows, the life that follows, the peace that comes with it, the comfort, the security, the green pastures, the still waters. And, and I asked myself the question, what, what would Psalm 23 look like if you removed the shepherd? A sheep without, without a shepherd. What would Psalm 23 look like without a shepherd? And I, and I quickly, as I had Psalms 23 um, on, my, on my laptop there, I quick, quickly just, just drafted as I was looking at that something that, that I think might be the result of Psalm 23 and its, and its narrative and its, and its story without a shepherd. Psalms 23 without a shepherd. I have no shepherd. My soul is in lack. I try to lead myself, but end up being controlled by the current of life. I'm ambitious, but deep down I'm living aimlessly. No real mission, no real destination. A hurried life with no sustaining rest. Who knew circumstances could have so much control? When life is hard, I don't know where to go or what to do, and when life is good, it's only good until it's not. This results in my soul being tired and burnt out. I'm left to my own strength, but I feel powerless. When the darkness of this world swallows me, fear overcomes me. I have no hope of making it through. I turn to things and to people to bring me comfort and to surround me. I think I can make it as long as I keep myself distracted. I don't need to deal with the real problem. This life is all there is and I need to make the most of it because once it's over, I'm over. Psalms 23, without the shepherd. It results in, in no peace. It results in no real guidance. It, it results in you being the author of your own life, the captain of your own soul. You controlling every bit and every aspect, everything being burdened on you as the one who can complete this. And if we're all honest, we've felt that in seasons and we have felt the weight of that crushing our soul. Burnt out, tired, thinking this life is all there is. And, and I'm sure people have thought along the lines of, man, if, if this life is over, then everything I have is over. But, but David ends the psalm very differently. And he's only able to end the psalm very differently because he starts with God being his shepherd. And so when Jesus looks at these people, I, I believe that, that he is envisioning, he is feeling what I have just read for you, Psalms 23 with no shepherd. And, and he is moved with compassion for these people. 
Are you doing good? And so the Bible says he speaks to his disciples. Now, I love this. I love this. Because this is, this is I think it's important. Because Jesus sees the crowd, right? But he speaks to his disciples. I want you to catch this. Jesus sees the crowd, but he speaks to his disciples. Jesus sees the crowd, has compassion, says they're like sheep without a shepherd, but instead of doing something about it, he speaks to his disciples. He sees the crowd, sees their needs, and speaks to the disciples. He sees the crowd, sees their need, but speaks to the disciples. Here's what that tells me, that, that in everything that moves the heart of God, you and I are supposed to be his hands. So, so Jesus exposes and reveals what is hidden in his heart. I'm moved with compassion because I see sheep without a shepherd, and then he speaks to his hands. His hands are his disciples. You catch that? And so, and so, you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we come to prayer meetings and we come to Sunday services and we come to, we, we come to, you know, Bible study events and what do we want? We want to feel, we want God's heart to be revealed. God, reveal your heart to me. Let me, let me feel your, your heart. But here's the reality. The moment God exposes his heart, you're left with a responsibility. Hello? Because once you're exposed to something, you can't be unexposed. And so now that you know his heart, there is responsibility on you to be his hands. How can you say that, Pastor Moses? Okay, let's continue. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. So, so notice how the metaphor has shifted from sheep to harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. So, as I close, here's, here's where we're gonna go. So, Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, there's a problem it moves my heart, and you're gonna do something about it. There's a problem, it moves my heart, and you're gonna do something about it. And what are they to do about it? Pray. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into, notice, his harvest. So, so whose harvest is it? the Lord's harvest. So who are they praying to? So, so these sheep without a shepherd actually have a shepherd. They just haven't met him yet. Hello? God, God cannot be Lord of the harvest if the harvest does not belong to him. And so Jesus in John 17 is, is praying in his high priestly prayer and he, 
and he blesses his disciples and then he mentions sheep that are not currently of the fold. Future sheep. Someone say future sheep. And so, and so Jesus has individuals and people in mind. And so he says, therefore, I need you to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you, do you see how much God is over this? Pray to God. Why? Because he's the Lord over the harvest. Well, why am I praying to him? Because it's his harvest. He's Lord over it. What am I praying? I'm praying for him to send out laborers. So, so then if, if the harvest is his, but I have to pray to him to send out laborers, then what then who do the laborers belong to? See, 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 God is the Lord of the harvest. Here's the prayer. Pray that more laborers see him as Lord. Because until you see him as Lord, you will never be moved by what moves his heart. So don't, don't pray for the harvest, pray for the laborers. I'm already Lord over the harvest. You notice he doesn't say he's Lord over the, because if he was Lord over the laborers, they would have already been laboring in his work. And so, and so then it says, he, he called to him his 12 disciples, gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Hold on, that's just, that's something Matthew just said of Jesus. So watch this, how the ministry of Jesus translates into his disciples. And then it says, the name of the 12 apostles. Someone say apostles. This is where things get fascinating because it says he, he calls to him his 12 disciples, okay? And then it says the names of his 12 apostles. Okay? Now, now what was the prayer? The prayer was for laborers to be sent out. What is an apostle? One who has been sent. I want you to catch this. They become the answer to what Jesus asked them, asked them to pray. Pray that God would send out people and then Jesus looks at them and says, you're the sent out ones. Could it be that we are praying for things, for God to move, for God to accomplish his will and his ways, and God is looking at you and saying, you're the sent one. For an apostle was one who was sent to represent the one who sent him. And they were to convey a message that was not of their own authority, not of their own effort, but whatever the one who sent them wants them to say and wants them to live, that's who they were. And so, and so Jesus says, okay, we're gonna pray. Let's pray that God sends people. Well, who are we? You're the sent ones. Well, what does that mean? I'm sending you. They're the answer to their own prayer. 
You see that? And so we talked about at this beginning, we talked about Jesus having the ability to see what we don't see. And sometimes we don't have, we're praying for something. And God's like, man, if only you prayed to have the sight that you need to see that you're the one I want to send. So you're, you're praying for broken marriages, but I've sent you. You're praying for the lost and those bound to false idols and religions, but I've sent you. You're praying for the poor, the oppressed, and the widowed, but I have sent you. And so they go. Verse 5 says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing, go nowhere among the Gentiles, no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? So the, the gospel was to come in power, Romans tells us, first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. So he says, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now it's significant that he chooses 12 disciples because it correlates to the salvation history of Israel and goes back to the 12 tribes, the sons of Jacob. Now, last I checked, Israel was a chosen people. Now, how can you be chosen and lost? Did you hear what I just said? It is possible to be chosen and lost. What do you mean, Pastor Mo? You're the sheep. You just haven't found your shepherd. God has chosen you. You just haven't received him yet. And could it be that there are sheep in our community, in our neighborhood, those we meet, that God is waiting to call home? And he's sending us to them. Because you have met your shepherd. It's time that they do too. Now, I was scratching my head because I'm like, well, Jesus, if, if you were going to send, send them out, then, then why, did you have them, why did you have them pray? If, if you were going to send them out, Jesus, why, why did you have them pray? Kind of seems redundant, doesn't it? Pray that God sends out laborers, finish praying, okay, I'm going to send you out. I was like, what was, the, why was that? Why, why was I praying then? Why, why pray? Why not, just, why not just send them, Jesus? Any move of God throughout history has been started prayer. Every move of God. Can I just blow your minds? Most moves of God have not been started by preachers and pastors.
people who have realized the call. And so, and so why did prayer come first? Because before Jesus wanted the disciples to be his hands, he needed them to feel his heart. And you cannot feel the heart of God outside of prayer. Prayer allows you to feel the heart of God. Prayer brings you into a space where you feel the weight that, that when Jesus looks at a crowd and sees sheep with no shepherd, the emotion behind that, knowing that he's the shepherd, they're his sheep. You, you don't feel the heart of God outside of prayer. And so it's in prayer where you begin to fall in love with the things that God is in love with. This might surprise you, but not every preacher and pastor loves the people they're communicating to. And God looks, and Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you're not going to be once who become my hands without having my heart. You're no different than the Pharisees at that point who, who worship me with their lips, but, but their hearts are far from me. And so he says in verse seven, and proclaim as you go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying give without pay. What did they receive? A shepherd. What did they receive? The gospel, the kingdom. Why is it that we want people to work for what God gave us freely? Did you hear what I just said? Why is it that we want others to work for what God gave us freely? For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, not of your own works, so that no man shall boast. It is by grace. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would send out laborers. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us and you have spoken clearly that the harvest is full but the laborers are few. And so we pray and we ask God that, that you would move your people, that you would move us, Lord, to feel your heart. For the sheep that belong to you.
for the sheep that belong to you. Those who are helpless and those who have been rejected, those who might be the outcasts, but you have called them to yourself. And so I pray, Father, that you would stir us up. Help us to feel and help us to hear and help us to do. We give you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.